podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. If you're even remotely interested in Spanish football, you're in the right place because that's going to be the subject of the conversation I'm going to hold with Sidlow over the next half an hour or so. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm all right mate, how are you? It's a busy day, but I'm all right. Yeah, I mean, the the, the uh, I think I said to you yesterday the 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 combination of uh, Champions League on Tuesday and midweek and sorry end of end of uh, what do you call it weekend games is a, is a fairly fairly dramatic one. Uh, now, have, and then if you go on, add to that if you add to that then Sevilla against West Ham on Thursday, and you add to that the uh, La Liga salary caps which came out this morning and were fairly dramatic. It's been a busy day. Certainly has. I will talk about that in uh, in just a moment. The La Liga salary caps. Have you managed to recover from the really quite bizarre and I'm sure quite traumatic experience this weekend of not actually watching any football on Saturday? Uh, no, I don't think I have. I don't know yeah, how. To, I don't know how I know. to deal with it. Um, it, it turned I out that I I timed it rather well. <laughs> Saturday's games, put bluntly, were a bit rubbish. <laughs> If you're going to miss any any day of the season, it was probably this Saturday. Um, let's let, let's run you through what's happened on on match day 28 so far. There is still one game to be played, and it's Real Madrid playing tonight in the Visit Mallorca Stadium against relegation threatened Mallorca. Uh, but on Friday night, we saw or you saw in the flesh, so you did actually manage to get to the Wanda Metropolitano to see Atletico Madrid beat Cadiz by two goals to one. Then, oof, hold on to your hats because Saturday was a roller coaster ride. We had Levante 1, Espanyol 1, Granada 0, Elche 1, Villarreal 1, Celta 0 and Getafe 0, Valencia 0. The less said about that final game, the better. It was pretty brutal. Um, we're calling it the, the Border Lassico. Jose Bordalas's current team, his former side, there were 39 fouls, 11 yellow cards, 9 minutes of stoppage time at the end of the second half. No goals. Uh, Sunday was a bit better. Uh, we saw Rio and Sevilla draw uh, 1-1. Then Betis beat Athletic Club by a goal to nil. Uh, La Real beat Alaves also by a goal to nil. And Barca sort of salvaged things in terms of a goal-scoring uh, perspective by thrashing Osasuna 4-0 at the camp. Now, like I said, uh, tonight we've got Mallorca against Real Madrid. Uh, if you do have a, a passing interest in Spanish football and you would like to foment your knowledge or even just listen to us chat a little bit more, uh, come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Loads of content on there throughout the week, including a bonus pod uh, each and every Thursday slash Friday and a Q&A pod each and every Tuesday. Um, Let's start off then by reflecting on the uh, the weekend. Like I said, we're not going to dwell too much on what happened on Saturday. <laughs> but if there is something you want us to talk about, send us a question, and, and we'll we will discuss it on the uh, on the on the Q and A pod. Uh, we'll talk about Barca because I don't want to alarm anyone, but they're actually playing pretty well, Sid. They're they're playing really quite good football. Very very well indeed. Um, this was uh, a, a really quite impressive performance against Osasuna. Not just the fact that it was 4-0 but the fact that it was done so early. They're 3-0 up after I think it's 27 minutes. Um, the, moving the ball very well. It was interesting listening to uh, Jagoba Arrasate, the Osasuna manager post-game and he said mm. look they they are developing an idea and he used that lovely word that we that we struggle and usually fail to translate properly they've got automatismos you know the mechanics if you like of the way that they play um he mm. said and, and they're really starting to fall into place and he said and they are a much more powerful team in attack they've got much more pegada the, that ability to provide the punch he said than the team we faced in Pamplona 
at the start of the season. And you can see that. You look at the, the this is a 4-0. The game before that, they won 2-1 away where Elche wasn't particularly great, but they scored four against Athletic. They scored four against Valencia. They drew 2-2 with Espanyol. They scored four against Atletico. So that's four, four times in their last six games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, things are definitely falling into place. And I, I think you can see the ideas. I also think, of course, that you can see the work that he did in the winter transfer window and the difference that that makes to the team. But you can also see, I think, improvements in the performances of players that we doubt. So last night, for example, I, I don't know about you, but I thought last night was kind of like the perfect night from a Barcelona point of view because you get Aubameyang scoring, you get everybody who hasn't really had a chance getting on the pitch and playing well. Even Martin Braithwaite was given minutes. We haven't seen him for ages. We haven't seen Clement Longley. We see uh, Ricky Putsch who scores and he hasn't scored, I think, for 14 months. Uh, just the whole thing. Ferran Torres got a brace. Ferran Torres got a brace just at the time when people were starting to say, oh, are we sure that he's really a goal scorer? Because he'd missed quite mm. a lot of chances in recent games. And so it's like the whole thing kind of fell, fell together perfectly. The fact that they, he was able to take people off and rest them early. So you get PK taken off quickly. You get Alba taken off early. You get Aubameyang taken off so that Memphis can go on. So all the way across the pitch, this was about as good a night as it could have possibly been for Barcelona. And yet they were coming off the back of a rather dispiriting nil-nil draw against Galatasaray on Thursday night. Yeah, and I think that was important as well that this was a response to that. But it, I think in a way the Galatasaray result, while it wasn't great, I think they, they could defend themselves by saying that Galatasaray played very defensively, which of course... Uh, Dominic Torrent, the Galatasaray manager, who was Pep Guardiola's assistant, um, said he was asked this, you know, why were you so defensive? He said, because it's Barcelona. You know, what do you want us to do? Uh, uh, Iñaki Peña, who's on loan from Barcelona, their goalkeeper played very well. And, and Xavi talked about that slight lack of intensity. Um, and that this was, if you like, a, a return to that. They are, in, I suppose, from their point of view, the thing that's problematic is they now have to go to Turkey to win on Thursday mm. rather than to rotate. And, of course, then they go to the Bernabeu on Sunday. Here's a question for you, Phil, mm-hmm. just because this mm-hmm. was a question that was asked last night. And I must admit, I couldn't believe it was even being asked, right? And, and, oh. and yet I think my answer is the complete polar opposite to everybody else's. So maybe I'm the idiot, not them. But they were... Uh, it's possible. Yes, it's very, it's very likely, some would say. It's possible. <laughs> they, they were asking on, on sort of Spanish football telly last night, you know, you've got these two games, Thursday night in, in Istanbul uh, against Galatasaray and then Sunday at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. Where's the priority? And everyone's going, oh, it's definitely the Classico. Of course it's not the Classico. Of course it's not. I mean, how, <laughs> not. I mean look, obviously the Classico emotionally, everything, all that stuff. But you can win the Europa League... You cannot win La Liga. In fact, Xavi himself said post-game, even if we win at the Bernabeu, we probably won't win the league because Real Madrid would have to drop points three or four times and that hasn't been happening this season. That is, the the Europa League is not just a chance to win something with the emotional impact that that has, but it's also, of course, a way into the Champions League, which I think they'll get in La Liga now anyway. But the, and I, also, I, just about the, 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 the emotional impact of getting knocked out of the Europa League by Galatasaray... Will probably mean they wouldn't win at the, at the Bernabeu anyway. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, also, I, I, you know, it could derail this, well, not derail this whole project, but it would be a real, real big blow. I mean, yeah. it was bad enough that they went out of the Champions League. You get knocked out, knocked out of the Europa League by Galatasaray. All due respect to the Turkish giants, but that would be, that would be massive here. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I just couldn't, be- I mean, I genuinely couldn't believe it, that this was a debate, yeah. but not just a debate, but a debate in which everybody said the Bernabeu. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, maybe Barcelona fans listening to us will think I'm wrong because the, the Madrid rivalry trumps all else, but I just don't see how it can... In a developmental project, 
Maybe at a different time, it might do. But in a developmental project with a league the way that it is, I, I just think, I personally think it's a no-brainer. Okay, well, that means that there is obviously uh, work for uh, Xavi to do. In terms of rotating and selecting his starting eleven, because he's got this big game on Thursday and then a massive game on, on Sunday, whichever one is bigger is, is up to you to, to decide. Sid and I have uh, uh, told you what, what we think. Who starts then on Thursday and who starts on Sunday? Uh, does, does, does Dembele start in both of them? I think that Dembele might only start in one because I think despite everything, there may still be a nervousness about, about his physical fragility or potential physical fragility. Although, of course, one of the very interesting things about Dembele is that he hasn't got injured yet. You know, touch wood and, and all that. Um, and I think his... His role is really, really interesting and, and the way that he's improved and how quickly this has been kind of normalised. I think that was always quite likely, particularly with Xavi, who's been fighting his corner against the club. And I think that's really important. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Adama plays away in Turkey and that Dembele's there on the bench to be brought on. Obviously, the one really significant change between the two games is Dani Alves. Who, who is only registered in La Liga and not registered in the Europa League. And at the time, I said I didn't understand it. Well, I understood it, but I didn't share that decision because I think the Europa League is something you go for. And frankly, a player like Alves, I think you need. Whereas I thought they had alternatives on the right wing, so they didn't necessarily need to register Adama. And of course, I think at that point, if yeah, if they if they weren't sure that things would go okay with them, but I think maybe they would have done it differently. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, there are uh, there are options for uh, a Chavi, and that's good. For Barcelona, and he actually said after the game against Osasuna, he said it's really difficult for me to pick the team right now, which is obviously a good thing, and, and it clearly is. Options all over the yeah. pitch. Yeah, I mean, look, he said it himself. You look at the bench, and, and there's that nice photograph when when Jordi Alba and and um, and Ronald Araujo are, are having a joke about. Well, I mean, in my imagination, it's about Dembélé because he's just misplaced a cross when it happens, but it's about something. But you look at that bench, and it's them two. Adama's on there. Abama Yang is on there. Uh, both the Youngs are on there. PK is on there. You think that's a really strong bench, and mm. you sort of look at that. You think, well, so so who's on the pitch? Mm. And actually, on the pitch, it's true that Ricky Puch and, and Martin Braithwaite wouldn't normally be on the pitch, but it's still a pretty strong side out there. Mm. Yeah, it is a pretty strong side, and it's looking like a a pretty strong squad as well. We'll get to the rest of the weekend's action in just a moment, but seeing as we're talking about Barcelona, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, new story of the day: the La Liga salary limits, which have been published and have caused some consternation because La Liga's salary limit is minus 144 million euros. Can you for Barcelona? Yeah, sorry, but for Barcelona's limit, yes. Um, can you um, can you begin to explain that to us? Yes, I sort of can. I can try. I can try. Um, the first thing to say is Barcelona are the only club in the red. Yes. They're the only club who has a has a minus figure. And I think the other thing to say, and I think this is really, really important, is that, and by the way, I include myself in this, we were told and we made the assumption that because Barcelona were making savings, that Barcelona were sorting some things out and the pandemic was coming to an end, that this figure would be higher than it was last year. Whereas, in fact, it's significantly lower. What was it last year? 93? Or was it 93 or 97? I can't remember. One of those two figures sounds right in my mind. I think it's 93.7 or 97.3, which is why I'm thinking of the two. Um, And we thought it would go up. And we thought, you know, they'd shed um, a lot of salary. 
They, of course, come out of the pandemic, so you're getting people back into the stadium with everything that that entails in terms of in terms of the merchandising, in terms of the travel, in terms of ticket sales, all of those things that the kind of peripherals that go with match day revenue. And we thought that things would be better. They are not. Now, we um, we had a, a call today with like a Zoom call for to explain this process. And La Liga are brilliant like this, I must admit. They're really, really good like this, explaining to us how this works. Now, the the... The way it was explained to us was, look, the basics are that you create uh, accounts in terms of the structural cost of your club and then the income. The structural cost is taken out of the the income and whatever's left can go on the first team squad broadly. Now, he said, look, if we really did go right down to the minutiae of this, we could be here all afternoon. But mm. broadly, this is how it works. And so what's left, you can spend on your squad. So if you have a huge... <laughs> huge debt then it tilts the other way and you have nothing to spend on your squad you're not allowed to spend anything at all now so people will say how on earth will Barcelona buy people and how on earth were they able to buy people last year and and in the winter window when they're over budget because as I believe we've explained before but I will try and do again in the simplest possible terms what the league did essentially was say we cannot be putting our clubs in a position in which they cannot build a squad Mm -hmm. they cannot build a team because these are Fundamentally still football clubs, even if we want the the, the economic uh, good health. So we allow a process that says those teams that are above budget, in other words, they they, they do not have the the salary, they they can't be within the salary limit because the amount they're spending on salaries is already above the limit. We will allow them to spend if they demonstrate to us that they are making savings. And the way to do that is to allow them to spend a percentage of the savings. In other words, and what they do is they do what's what's a, basically a four-to-one ratio. Um, so they say, if you save 10 million, you can, you can basically invest 2.5 million in players. With one or two small caveats, and the really big caveat is, if you release a player, I must confess, forgive me, I can't remember the exact percentage, who's salary that player alone is beyond i think it was five percent of your budget you can spend up to 50 percent of the saving you've made in other words you have to demonstrate to us that you're saving and we will continue to allow to do you to do this now of course that doesn't solve the underlying problem well it does a bit because you are still saving so you're chipping away at your at your, your the imbalance between income and outgoings now, obviously, fundamentally, you still have to attend to that. And it will not be positive again in Barcelona's point case until there is some sort of additional income. Now, the way it was put to us today, and I think this is a very interesting way of looking at this. And I wonder if this foreshadows something, a very, very significant and I think very concerning debate. And he said there are essentially two ways that Barcelona can can attack that underlying problem. One, of course, is with uh, with uh, superavit. What do you call that in English? Uh, surpluses with money coming in, basically. So that's through player sales. Maybe you, as Real Madrid did many years ago, of course, famously sell the training ground. Maybe you have some sort of property that you sell. Maybe you get um, money in somehow. So, for example, Barcelona are currently talking to CVC about um, a, a deal there. Or, he said, the other thing that some clubs have available to them is an ampliación de capital, which is essentially a share issue. Now, of course, Barcelona, as a, as a members club, do not have that option. And as soon as he said that, a light bulb, well, I wouldn't even call it a light bulb, I'd call it more like a, a kind of a fear, kind of pinged in my mind. Like, wow, is this where the membership model debate becomes real again? And, of course, we saw that Barcelona's CEO walked away, what was it, two months ago? And that one of the things that we believe that he 
didn't see eye to eye with Joan Laporta over was about the membership model itself. So is this the first, this is the first step? This would be the first step because, of course, you only go to a, a change in membership model with, a, with, a, with an income of, of private capital in some way if you can justify it through, through the argument, which would be, look, we're going out of business here. Uh, Jean Laporta has been pretty bullish uh, previously about Barcelona buying players and making big signings, not least about Erling Haaland and suggesting mm. that it could be done, suggesting that it's being worked on, suggesting that it's far from beyond them until a couple of days ago where he's backtracked quite a lot and he said that we're not going to yeah. do operations that will put the club at risk. They're not going to be signing Erling Haaland this summer, I think it's fair to say. Well, it sounds, it sounds very much like they're not. I mean, in, in fairness, I suppose he left a slight door open that he's saying we won't do operations that put us in trouble. I do think there is a sensible structure in place, although we did talk about this in the winter window, that there, is a, there are short-term questions, which is how do you get through the criteria now? And long-term questions about what kind of problem do you load yourself up with? I was talking to someone at the club the other mm-hmm. day about this and, and the idea of amortisations. And, and of course, you, how do you afford to pay for someone now? Well, because you spread the cost. The problem is, of course, that you spread the cost into following years, which means you've got a problem in following years. Now, if you manage carefully, then you would like to think, OK, you can trust them to not load that debt into into a position where they can't deal with it. But of course, they're also dealing with debt, which has been loaded into this year, which 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 it shouldn't have been. Uh, and so there is that doubt. Now, with Haaland, of course, now what they would have to do was, would be to make significant enough changes that they could cover his cost. Now, remember, his cost spread over time. So let's say for argument's sake... He signs and it costs, what is it? I think it's 70 million, isn't it? The signing on fee. It's the actual transfer fee is set, I think, as 70 million um, in terms of the release fee that Dortmund want. So let's say for argument's sake, you do 70 million over, let's say it's five years. Okay. So you spread that across five years. You can deal with that if you make sufficient amounts of changes in the meantime. But then you've also probably got to pay um, agency costs. You've probably got to pay uh, a signing on fee for him and you've got to deal with Mm. his wages. And that has to be fed out of time. So the savings you make will have to be very big. Now, they have been big up to a point. Um, and, and because you've got the potential of a signing for Griezmann, you've got the potential of a signing for Coutinho, you've already shed some of these people. And this was one of the other things, by the way. And I think it's worth pointing this out. I'm actually going to look it up because I thought I was handwriting um, as, as we were being spoken to today. The, the way in which Barcelona were able to do some of the signings um, in the winter mm-hmm was, of course, because Umtiti's contract was changed. It was. Cunaguero disappeared. Um, Coutinho represented a very significant sale. And then the players they bought in came in on very low salaries and amortised over, over a period of time. So they were able to get through, if you like, those hoops. Now, the big thing is, the big thing is to say, there's a difference between can you get through the hoops and can you manage this over a period of time? And... Um, uh, the, the the league CEO today basically said he was asked, can they sign Haaland? And he said, quite clearly, right now, unless something changes, and if there is nothing new done to reduce the uh, the costs and increase incomes, there is no other way of doing it except for that. Uh, listen, I'm quite happy that we've managed to get through about a 10-minute section on the podcast, essentially talking about maths and it making sense. So well done. 
You've, 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 you've done, yes. very, well. Yeah, that, you've done that's, very well. That's, that's a quite, quite a surprise, isn't it? Um, <laughs> all right, let's, let, that, that's Barca and that's... Just, just one thing to throw okay. in here. I just, I just do think this is worthwhile. It was, it was a question that was posed uh, to Javier Gomez, the, 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 the guy from La Liga. There are 20 clubs in the first division. There are. 14 of them are over limit hmm. at the moment. So 14 of them in order to, to buy... Uh, uh, are doing this four, four to, uh, ratio of four to one thing because uh, they can't actually buy within their limits. But Barcelona is the only one with a negative limit for next season. Mm. So in other words, to even get on an even keel, they have to find 144 million euros from somewhere. When you put it like that, <laughs> it's, um, yeah. I mean, it really is that yeah. simple. It really is that simple. And this, by the way, let's not forget this, and it's really important. This is with them having already taken pretty serious emergency measures mm. To deal with this, mm. it, it should not be forgotten that Suarez went, that Arturo Vidal went, that Ivan Rakitic went, that the following summer Griezmann went, Lionel Messi went. I mean, we, see, we forget this quite easily, but their best player ever went because they couldn't afford him. And I just want to throw that in there because I think there is sometimes this argument as well. Oh, they just get away with it. They just kind of keep doing it. Look, they're signing people. How can they do this? Well, that's not really fair because they were forced or chose to release players who are potentially very important and in the case of Messi about as traumatic a departure as you could imagine mm. it's true it's true uh, very traumatic for everyone I think and, and the trauma is still there particularly particularly for Messi I think um, let's move on and talk about some some other stuff you were at the Wonder on Friday night to see Atletico Madrid beat Cadiz 2-1 in the pissing rain you're a hero Sydney well done for going <laughs> it wasn't great from Atleti at all I mean it they wasn't. scored after three minutes wasn't it Jao Felix uh, taking advantage of a, a gift from the goalkeeper and that was it from Atleti in the first half and Cadiz equalised through Alvaro Negredo on the stroke of half-time deservedly so and it was just really poor yeah Rodrigo de Paul scored in the second half and Atleti got the win but eh, I don't know I mean maybe the, the the positive for Atletico was that they didn't play well and they still managed to win and that is something that they've not been yeah. doing this season when they've been playing badly they haven't won games and, and they did but oof, I don't know I, I really was really unconvinced by this yeah, absolutely. So was I. Um, and, and, and also, look, this, this brings us to, if you like, a recurring theme that we've tried to engage with all year and tried to explain all year. And sometimes we've come up, come up short. We've had reasons and we've been able to give some explanation for Atletico Madrid's poor form. But at times we've sort of said, look, some of the underlying statistics are not so bad. And I genuinely think it's not too much of a step to say that in these last four games when Atletico Madrid have won four in a row, they have played significantly worse than in periods earlier in the season when they weren't winning games. In terms of the number of chances they've taken, in terms of how well they've kept the ball, in terms of how they've dominated the game. Now, they are maybe doing some of those intangibles better than before. But even that, I'm not entirely sure if it's true. You know, they, they were defensively, you know, you, would, you could say, oh, well, they were really good this time around. But were they or did they just get away with it? Jimenez clears one off the line. There's a couple of our black saves. They, there's a couple of reasonable chances not taken. And you sort of think, well, there's been times earlier in the season when it's one chance, bang, and it's in and it falls apart. And there is maybe a degree of, if you like, intensity and concentration that maybe wasn't there before. But I don't know if I'm partly seeing that because of the results rather than because I'm really seeing it, if you see what I mean. And, and, and I think sometimes we look at the results and we go, OK, let's explain this. And sometimes we have to try and force ourselves to not look at the results to explain things or, to, to, or, or maybe not to explain, but to describe what we're seeing. And 
I watched it on Friday and I'm I'm complete with you. I thought I've seen them play miles better than yes. this and not win. Yes. And, and and quite a lot of times as well. I mean they, um, they played and, miles and better. So I don't know the answer. They played miles better against Manchester United and 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 drew 1-1. Obviously Man United are not, are not Cardiff, but I'm talking about Man U because they play them tomorrow Sydney. How com- how, yeah. how how confident are we that, that Atletico are going through? I don't know. It, I no, I'm anything, not confident. Anything can happen. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's exactly where I was going. I was going to yeah. say I'm not confident, but nor am I not confident <laughs> um, because because I sort of look at this and I think, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe not. Um, I think that I think they will try and play on the break. I think that um, Simeone has very clearly not given up on Suarez, but taken a decision that is that we need to be quicker. Mm. And there needs to be more dynamism about us. And that's one thing that maybe you can look at this and see. And yet that said, they scored in the second half in this game. And it was a brilliant goal. And Suarez plays an absolute decisive role in it. And it's a really nice move. And this is one of... I mean, I watched Suarez on Friday. And I thought he looked... You know, we've, we've watched Suarez do this for a long time now. And you sort of go, he looks like he can hardly run. He looks like it hurts him. And then he comes to life and he scores the goal and you win the game. And I watched him on Friday and I thought, it was another step again. But then maybe that's because of inactivity. Maybe that you know, maybe it becomes self kind of perpetuating, if you sort of mean. So against Manchester United, the short answer is I honestly do not know what to say to you. I really don't. I don't think any of us have any idea what to expect from the game uh, tomorrow. Manchester United won, Atletico Madrid won on aggregate. From a Spanish football perspective, we're hoping Atletico Madrid go through, but we really have no idea. Uh, also in action in European action this week are Sevilla in the Europa League against West Ham, as you mentioned. Uh, they, they saw their title push perhaps coming to an end this weekend with their 1-1 draw at Rio. It's their sixth draw in eight games. Yeah. That, that's why yeah. they are no longer realistic title contenders. And, and producer Al's put here, forget challenging for Madrid for the title. Are we sure they'll finish in the top four? Uh, top four, I think they will, but I don't think they're going to finish second anymore. Hmm. Well, no, maybe that's a step too far to say I don't think they are. I think there's a very strong chance that they don't now because the momentum that Barcelona have gathered... The fact it's that in Barcelona's hands, are... by the way, because they've still got to play Sevilla and they've got a game yeah. in hand. So if they win those two games, they exactly. go above Sevilla. Yeah, yeah. so the game, in, the game in hand takes them to two points. And if they beat... That said, the game against Sevilla is at the Pith 1. Um, I also think that Sevilla possibly more than Barcelona. I think so, isn't it? Or is it the other way around? Other way maybe around. I, maybe I've got it the wrong way. Yeah, okay, the camp okay. Is it? Okay. Um, I, the other thing is, I wonder, and despite what we said at the start of the programme, is the Europa League more of a distraction for Sevilla than it would be for Barcelona in terms of, if you like, the emotional connection to it, if not necessarily the, the capacity to play it? And, and also, I suppose, the management of resources, because one of the things that we've seen with Sevilla, and I wonder if maybe... I was too generous to them in that we kept saying during January and February where they were just about hanging on. We sort of said, yeah, but it's a miracle they're standing at all and they've done a brilliant job given the number of injuries mm. that have been eight or nine almost every week. And and then you sort of think they come for it, they get out of the Copper of that, um, Copper Africa, uh, what's it called, African Cup of Nations. Three players back, two of them vital, of course, Bono and and, and then Nasiri, at least theoretically vital. As it turns out, Munir has probably been more important than either of those two since they came back, which is not what I anticipated, if only because he scored in, in Europe in midweek and, of course, because he scored in the derby. And you think, right, we get these guys back, two or three of the other guys come back, and then we start watching them and thinking they can, they can step up again now. And at exactly that point, they either didn't or couldn't 
And so right now, yeah, I would say I think Barcelona are more likely to finish second than Sevilla. There are Sevilla fans in Seville who are deeply unhappy with Julian Lopetegui. Deep, like really, really not happy with, and they, with the and yet design. they weren't three, three weeks ago after the derby. It, it went the other way, and I'd had this conversation with with some 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 Sevilla fans. That sort of sense that sometimes do they just not kind of take that step they need to take, and then when they did it in the derby and they really went for Betis right from the start, you thought, here we go, this is the moment that says, all right, we're going to do this now, not necessarily win the league, but you know, we're going to we're going to go for this, we're going to really do this, and it didn't happen again. Um, and I don't know if that is... I mean, sometimes I, I, I watch Sevilla and I don't know about you, but I sometimes get the feeling that Sevilla know that... And this is, I know, a contradiction because I've just been talking about injuries. They know that physically they're quite strong. They know that they're very well organised. They know that they can keep the ball really quite well because I actually think they, their structure is really good and they use the ball really well. And I sometimes wonder if they sort of trust too much that the chance will come rather than forcing it. Do you know what I mean? Rather than really going and getting it. And they sort of trust that, well, it'll happen, which is, I think you, this is borne out and you're, you're the man with the stats and, and more often than not, you, you get the stats that I haven't got or you tell me the stats that I don't know. It feels very much like Sevilla get to half time too often having not scored, but maybe trusting that they will and maybe they don't need to. Or maybe they, or more to the point, maybe they need to, to approach that first half differently sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can I can tell you what the uh, the table would look like if we only counted the first half. <laughs> ah, well, there we go. That's that's a perfect example of this uh, stat. I, uh, please please tell me I'm not talking total nonsense. Then uh, Betis would be top. Sevilla would be fifth. Um, Betis right. would be top. Villarreal second. Real Madrid third. Barcelona fourth. Sevilla would be fifth. Um, but yeah, um, all right. Uh, you've got to um, focus on on Sevilla against uh, West Ham now. Uh, you're not going to the to the game, are you? No, I'm not. No. no. Okay, that's good. But um, but yeah, uh, turn your attentions uh, to that after uh, tonight's game, of course, and uh, after it is a busy week, isn't it? And after Atletico Madrid at Old Trafford, really, really busy week uh, as well. Um, you've got to try and keep your eyes on Oviedo as well. They t- beat title chasing Real Valladolid three nil. Yesterday, was it, Sydney? We are amazing. I, it is impossible to work out what the bloody hell is going on with Real Oviedo. Well, I've, I've tried. Because... But, you know, Lord knows I've tried. I mean, you know, you, 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 it's endless. Ah, oh, a really big team. Boom. <laughs> take them out. Here we go. We can do it. Play someone else. <laughs> it's just, I, I, refuse to get, I refuse to get excited now. I've, I've just had enough. I'm, I'm just, I just, it, whatever will be, will be and all that. Because I just don't think there's uh, there's any point in in in, in believing. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, second, <laughs> there is no point in believing. Title of today's pod. Just in yeah. like, just in general. Uh, yeah. Abar are three points clear at the top of the Segunda. They beat Amora Bieta one nil. They're ahead of Almeria, uh, who drew three three with Lugo. Uh, quick mention as well about Barca Femini, uh, who beat Real Madrid five nil on Sunday to clinch the league title in front of a record five thousand four hundred thirty crowd at the Estadio uh, Johan Cruyff. Their record so far this season. Play 24. It's unreal. 124. 136 goals for, six goals against. They've won the last three league titles and they've won seven since 2011. They are the best side in Spain, the best side in Europe and utterly, utterly dominant here and well worthy of their title crown. Uh, we've got a big uh, 
Champions League uh, Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid coming up in a couple of weeks' time at a sold-out camp now, which that, is going to be pretty special. Yeah, um, so. yeah, it's going to it's going to be going to be quite exciting. I, I suppose there is a, a broader question now, is which is about how the rest of the clubs in Spain respond to this, and in particular, obviously those with with the resources to do so. So whether Atletico oh, and yeah. Real, Madrid Real Madrid in particular, and, yeah. how Real Madrid in particular, how they how they respond to this. Uh, as we said this week, it's really busy in terms of Spanish sides in action. Tuesday, it's Man United, Atleti in the Champions League. Wednesday, it's Juve against Villarreal in the same competition. Then on Thursday, it's Galatasaray, Barca, Eintracht, Frankfurt, Betis and West Ham against Sevilla. If there's something that we didn't talk about and you want us to, send us a question and we will talk about it on tomorrow's Q&A pod. Uh, enjoy the week's football and uh, see you on patreon.com forward slash TSFP. If not, if you don't want to become a patron, that's all right. We'll be here next week as ever. Adios. Cheerio. Network.